The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome, welcome back to the only true democracy in talk radio, live on remote location in Los Angeles, which is why I sound a little different than when I'm in the studio, but nonetheless, just a great hour ahead. Joining us, or I should say rejoining us, and more than a pleasure to have back on the program, is Mr. Fred Redman. Mr. Redman is the International Vice President of Human Affairs for the USW, the United Steelworkers. Fred's regularly appeared on our show, and he has been for years since January 2011. Always a terrific interview, a terrific guest, and glad to have him back with us. Mr. Redman, thank you for rejoining us. Good afternoon, sir. Yeah, good afternoon, Les. We're glad to be with you. You know, before... Uh, he was elected president. Donald Trump pretty much uh, demonized uh, NAFTA. Uh, now there seems to be a renegotiation of NAFTA. Regardless of somebody's politics, the reality is that NAFTA has been a disaster for the U.S. worker, a disaster even more so for U.S. manufacturing. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely agree, Leslie. Uh... According to the Economic Policy, uh, Policy Institute, uh, we have lost more than 850,000 U.S. manufacturing jobs. And uh, we have seen 50,000 factories closed due to NAFTA since the agreement was enacted in 1994. So, and, so you have uh, to renegotiate NAFTA, um, which I think everyone knows that, you know, whether you, if you don't get rid of it, you've got to renegotiate it. Mm-hmm. The interest of the workers have to be put ahead of the interest of corporations and the interests of Wall Street. Can we do that with a president and a Congress, the House and the Senate, who seem to be in bed with so many corporations and Wall Street types? Well, you know, we, we, we were pleased to hear the president's remarks about uh, renegotiating uh, NAFTA, uh, Leslie, but I must say that within his party, there don't seem to be any momentum to uh, do the things that it takes to do in a renegotiation on NAFTA in order to represent the American worker. So, you know, if the president was to be serious about this, then I think the first thing you have to do is convince members of his party that NAFTA has not been good to American workers. Uh, but any such negotiations, we feel, must be transparent. Uh, they must be conducted with public input and public scrutiny. And, you know, because too often these trade deals like NAFTA and TPP and others, you know, they're held in secret with the only corporate and Wall Street interests represented at the table. Uh, American workers, consumers, and lawmakers must have a strong voice if any um, renegotiation discussions take place in order for it to be meaningful for the American worker. Um, w- when we 
when we when we look at a renegotiation that puts interest of, of workers ahead of that, mm-hmm. which you said you're encouraged by some of, of what you're you're hearing. Um, how do we use this opportunity where it would seem that the president is on board with the you know unions or manufacturing with regard to this? How do we change NAFTA for the better? What are the solutions to change NAFTA for the better? Well, uh, any sort of uh renegotiations in order to change it for the better uh a new agreement uh it, it must limit the power of corporations and restore power to workers and the sovereign governments uh we got to eliminate the rules that incentivize the offshoring of jobs uh we got to protect by american statutes we got to eliminate rules that empower multinational corporations to attack democratic policies and and give them the right to sue sovereign governments over rules and regulations that they just don't like. Um, workers' rights in all three of the partner countries under NAFTA must be a central part of any sort of renegotiations, and those rules must lock partners into enforceable standards, which will allow for a free and independent labor movement in all countries. If we are to uh, renegotiate and try to level the playing field, and make a um, trade policy works on behalf of workers in all three of our countries. So we will, so we would be looking if if this comes to fruition, which we're very skeptical about under this president. But if he's serious, we'll be looking for a framework that must be put in place that will ensure a timely remedy of labor violations and permit transnational bargaining. And when I talk about transnational bargaining in order to level the playing field, you know, we 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 would have to push for any sort of steel production that's done in you know throughout North America and Mexico and the the US and Canada must have some similarities when we start talking about uh wages, uh safety and uh you know issues of commonality in all three of our countries in a specific industry so we won't be pitting worker against worker. So look, it's a big lift, but it's also a strong commitment. And uh you know, as I stated, you know the president's saying some good words and we'll just we'll just have to wait and see if he's willing to back that up with action. And by his actions so far, um we're not as optimistic um uh, about his commitment to renegotiate uh as we were when he first came into office just by some of the actions we've seen so far by this administration but we'll see um you know for people that say oh yeah well the usw is banging the drum on this now to be clear the usw has been opposed to the north american free trade agreement nafta which has failed mm-hmm. proposed right um, you know, you, you, you t- and you talk about the president renegotiating offers an opportunity to correct past mistakes. Before we talk specifically about those past mistakes, uh, speak to us about the opposition by the USW. I think you probably agreed with Ross Perot, who sounded like a wingnut for the most part, except for <laughs> one thing when he talked about that sucking sound. That's a big sucking sound. He was right. Yeah, we've been opposed ever since uh, the beginning because uh, NAFTA does not have strong protection. Uh, language like most of these trade agreements uh, uh, do not have, and on the NAFTA, you know, we've, you know, we predicted the erosion of American jobs because, you know, what we have is a uh, 
a process through NAFTA that pits worker against worker. And, uh, you know, it's a race to the bottom. Um, you know, corporations became able to seek out with the inception of NAFTA locations where they could exploit the lowest possible wages and the most lax environmental and safety rec uh, regulations in order to maximize profit. So uh, this has led to massive offshoring and resulted in lower wages for U.S. workers. And according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor st uh, Statistics, two out of every three displaced manufacturing workers in the U.S. are wage reductions since the inception of NAFTA. And, um, you know, millions of people on both sides of the border have been left stranded in poverty and low-wage jobs. And in, in 2014, over 20.5 million more Mexicans today live below the poverty line than they did in 1994. So we've been opposed to this from the beginning. We've projected that uh, what we've seen happen uh, through NAFTA uh, we projected that these sort of things would happen. And, uh, you know, we've continued to, you know, stand opposed to it. And, you know, this president, like I said, his words are good. But, um, you know, we hope he's serious. And the only way to be serious is to have conversations with organized labor about this, which he have yet not done. With regard to the president and, and all his talk about how NAFTA has failed mm -hmm. and, you know, what he wants to do, I, I want to talk about past mistakes of NAFTA. But, Mr. Redmond, the president has also, uh, you know, hurt American, you know, workers when he has used steel from China and, and not American steel, steel from overseas to build some of the Trump stu structures and properties that he owns there that bear his name. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the reasons why we're skeptical, you know, even though we have that little optimism, we're still skeptical because of this president's own records. I mean, even during discussion and his uh, advocacy for the um uh for the for the Keystone pipeline, uh he stated on the campaign trail that, you know, he would build the pipeline and he would do it with US steel and shortly after he signed the executive order, um, you know, creating the pipeline to be built. Then we come to find out that uh, he also allowed for Chinese steel to be used in the construction of the pipeline. So this president has not been consistent with his words, says one thing, do another. But, um, you know, the, the the use of foreign steel in his buildings and, you know, he have talked to talk, but he haven't walked to walk. Okay, so um, we hope that, you know, NAFTA could be a turning point for him to, to finally stand up and speak and to take action on behalf of the American worker. But right now, we're in a wait-and-see attitude. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about NAFTA and other free trade agreements and what we've learned over the past 20-plus years, because we do have an opportunity to correct past mistakes. What are those past mistakes? We'll talk about it more with Mr. Fred Redman right here, International Vice President of Human Affairs for the USW. Check out the website, USW.org. Follow at Steelworkers, the USW, and also President Leo Gerard, President of the USW, at USW Blogger, back after this.
welcome back only True Democracy in Talk Radio of four and by you, the people. We welcome back Mr. Fred Redman, who is International Vice President of Human Affairs for the USW. He's regularly appeared on this show. Glad to have him with us. We're talking about the NAFTA renegotiation. Mr. Redman, thank you for holding and welcome back. Um, sure. Let's talk about the past mistakes, 20-plus years, not just of NAFTA, but of other free trade agreements as well. We talk about how it's been a disaster for U.S. manufacturing and U.S. workers, and that any renegotiation of NAFTA must put the workers' interest ahead of the interest of corporations and Wall Street. Can you talk to us about the past mistakes of not just NAFTA, but any free trade agreements, and, and you know, these mistakes that we obviously clearly need to learn from in, in any attempt to renegotiate? Well, you know, um what we're looking at, Leslie, is a broken system. Uh, we're involved in a system that uh, we have to show damage before we take a case, for example, to the U.S. Trade Commission to take before the WTO. We have to show damages before the WTO would accept the case. I mean, for example, in the case of coded free sheet paper, you know, we had reports, we've done our research, that there was. Uh, a lot of coated free sheet paper that was coming into the country tariff-free and was in warehouses throughout the United States. And when we took that information to the WTO, you know, we was not able to show damage because our industry had not been directly impacted at the time. But then when, when our workers started getting laid off, a uh, paper plant was threatening to shut down. It's only after damage is done do the, do the system allows for any sort of remedy in the form of tariffs in order to level the playing field and to correct the imbalance. Uh, I'm sorry, but to correct the imbalance. But the World Trade Organization, which is the arbiter of these cases, uh, since 1995, for example, uh, the WTO have heard 42 trade cases, um, you know, with the United States, and I mean, with 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 the involved United States workers, and um, you know, we've lost 38 of them. So, you know, the damage is 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 there because workers have been severely impacted by these bad trade deals, and NAFTA have been one that have really, really done a lot of damage to workers in the United States. When we look at um, not not just, uh, you know, failure, um, there was a promise when NAFTA was negotiated originally, um, mm-hmm. and that promise was to deliver widespread prosperity. Well, maybe it delivered widespread prosperity to owners of corporations that shipped jobs overseas, but, you know, we talk about devastating job loss and even more so devastating loss of manufacturing jobs. There were tens of thousands of factories that closed in the United States. So, again, the widespread prosperity, widespread into the pockets of the corporations uh, and those people, you know, rich enough to head up or own of those corporations. How, how do we turn this around? How do well, we have, yeah. you know, these, these corporations and the wealthy invest in American manufacturing and American manufacturing jobs instead of sending overseas? And I ask that, Mr. Redmond, because even though people want to demonize and blame the unions or how much unions make or pensions or health care, which is to me all bumpkiss, it, it mm-hmm. comes down to the fact that overseas they don't have the regulations and they can pay pennies. Uh, almost indentured servitude, if you will, to their workers. Um, uh, How do do we change, even if we renegotiate a NAFTA, um, does that uh, change the greed that exists in these corporations and on Wall Street? 
Well, not necessarily. I mean, it would be a good start. And I mean, look, we have offered our um, help to the to the uh, Trump administration if they're serious about this to work with them uh, in any way that we can if they're serious about. Uh, repelling NAFTA, which we think should be done. But we have to understand that in many ways, Leslie, the United States has literally given up its sovereignty uh, to these panels, such as the WTO, to make the decision regarding these trade deals and the imbalances and the violations of these deals. And these global panels, like the WTO, they can decide whether your laws are in compliance with the way they view uh, you know, trade around the world. But, I mean, when you think about it, uh, you know, the sense of having given up your market, having given up your jobs and your ability to make your own laws, and that's what the United States have done uh, by, you know, joining the WTO and this global trade uh, model, uh, you know, you give up your own um, sovereignty in order to decide, you know, if a country is in violation uh, so, you know, I think some of the remedies that's involved, uh, Sherrod Brown, who's been a big champion of ours, you know, he called for a reset of the U.S. trade relationship with China, starting with the WTO, where three-quarters of uh, the members of the WTO are developing countries and then transition to market economies. And, uh, you know, we, we need to just reset the rules and make the rules more fair, you know, on behalf of workers and giving countries some sovereignty, okay, in these trade deals in order to protect their own workers uh, without the sovereignty of a country be defined and to be interpreted by a panel such as the WTO. We're going to take a break. We'll be back again with Mr. Fred Redden. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. As our guest, Mr. Redmond, thank you for holding uh, and uh, welcome back. Lots to talk about with regard uh, to AFTRA, uh, right, NAFTA. According to the EPI, the Economic Policy Institute, more than 850,000 U.S. manufacturing jobs have been lost, as you had mentioned. 50,000 factories uh, shuttered due to NAFTA since the agreement was enacted, and that was in 1994. And during that time, our country's trade deficit with Mexico swung from $1.7 billion in surplus uh, in 1993 to a $61.4 billion deficit in 2012. Um, it would seem that the United States is losing this race to the bottom, right? With oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, we have uh, created through NAFTA specifically uh, a situation where, you know, countries can, you know, shop throughout North America and find places, particularly in Mexico, where people live below the poverty line and, 
you know, uh, uh, they're out. Uh, I'm sorry, they're underpricing American producers. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those situations, uh, Leslie, where we're dealing with, uh, you know, the unlimited greed of corporations, uh, the lack of of any will to protect the American workers, but we're definitely losing. And we're losing because there's nothing in the agreement, in the NAFTA agreement, that even mentions any sort of protection for American workers, and not just American workers, but we're talking about Mexican and Canadian workers also. But uh, the deal is all about shopping for the low-cost producers at the expense of you know, workers in all three of our countries. Uh, as I stated previously, uh, more Mexican workers have fell into poverty since the enactment of NAFTA. Um, you know, we've seen many jobs leave Mexico and go to China, which is even a lower-cost producer. So, you know, this is definitely a race to the bottom. And um, I remember a CEO from General Electric uh, once said uh, that his preference in terms of industrial manufacturing would be to put his factory on a barge and just travel around the world and stop wherever he find the most oppressed workers, you know. So, you know, we have to have the will of the American government to stand up for its workers. And like I stated previously, we have offered our assistance to the Trump administration. We applauded them when they announced, when the president announced uh, that he want to renegotiate NAFTA. And we stand ready and willing to assist in any way that we can if they're serious about protecting the American worker from these bad trade deals. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, um, who, mm -hmm. you know, uh, attacked this as well, quote, our disastrous trade policies for the past 30 or 40 years have had a horrendous impact on the lives of millions of working Americans. And he's right with that. I mean, we've lost manufacturing jobs to, to partners in foreign trade, right? Uh, Mexico, China, those are just two uh, of the countries that we've lost it to. And when we talk about those numbers from uh, the EPI, um, and we talk about the numbers that we also get, according to the Council on Foreign Relations, that we talked about the you know the surplus versus uh, the deficit. Uh, this is clear, and this should not be a political issue, correct? No, it shouldn't be a, a uh, political issue. I mean, when we look at it, uh, I mean the system is really, really broken, and it's been broken for so long that I think that people sort of think that that's just the way that the system should work, is that corporations should have the right to, uh, you know, shop for the lowest uh, oppressed and, you know, workers around the world and should have the ability to just ship jobs overseas in order to uh, get the lowest produced product. But, uh, you know, the only way that this is going to change is if we do have a government who takes it upon itself bagged up behind the will of the people, you know, the workers and our friends in the Congress who have stood with us, people like Bernie Sanders and Sherrod Brown throughout the years, calling for fair trade policies that would give American workers an even playing field as it regards to environmental, labor, and human rights standards, uh, because we know that when all things are level, that the American worker could compete as well as any other workers around the world. But as long as uh, the government 
does not protect its workers by putting in enforceable measures in these trade deals, uh, then we're going to continue to be outproduced. And, uh, you know, that's how come, you know, we, our union, you know, we filed trade cases. We've been standing up for our workers for years um, in terms of trying to, you know, address these issues before the U.S. trade ambassador. We filed cases. Uh, you know, we've won some. we lost more. But, um, you know, we need the will of the executive branch in in this country to really, really take a stand and see to it that American workers are protected in these deals, particularly a deal like NAFTA. Oh, no, no question about it. And I don't think that is – I mean, that's something that everybody else can agree on. I, I mean, one thing that was appealing to those that voted for the president was this idea of putting America first, which mm-hmm. uh, clearly – uh, NAFTA does not. I mean, what NAFTA created with this race to the bottom is the ability for corporations to seek out locations where they could, you know, get the lowest possible wages, the most lax environmental and safety regulations, maximize profits in exploiting human beings, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the process. Um, what, what bothers me is putting America first. These corporations need to do that as well and be on board with that as well, Mr. Redmond. I understand them, you know, wanting to uh, profit, but at the same time, we've got to say, hey, you know, we're better than that. And speaking of better than that, we know that something that's made in China is not made as well as something made in the United States. Absolutely. And, I mean, the reverse argument that we hear um coming out of uh, corporations and coming out of the mouths of CEOs is that what the American people want is very perverse argument, Leslie. It doesn't what the American people want is the ability to stretch their dollars and to buy lower-cost products. So what we see is, you know, these, these products that can uh, be made in the United States being shipped to, uh, you know, countries where we have nothing against the workers. I mean, you know, nothing at all. But we see workers in places like Indonesia, workers like in Mexico, workers in China, and workers in uh, countries where you don't have strong enforcement regulations that protect workers, producing these products at minimal and in slave-like conditions, being put on barges, shipped back to the United States, stocked on the shelves in places like Walmart. Uh, and then the, the, the argument that I say, you, you know, it, 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 it's, it's just perverse in my mind, is that the American people are satisfied as long as they go walk into a Walmart and get these products at a lower cost than the conditions that they were made in and the number of jobs that was lost shipping these jobs overseas is not is not of interest to the American people. It's now, interesting you say that, Mr. Redmond. I would venture to say if anybody were to see children, because there is child labor allowed. In, in absolutely. Um, and the conditions in which not just these children, but workers work, uh, sometimes, you know, the abuse, uh, even sexual abuse of uh, female employees, um, I would dare say most Americans would not be able to buy those products cheap at Walmart and other places made in China and some other countries, especially like a China, with the horrific work conditions and treatment of its people. And I agree. And, 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 and um, you know, the, the, um, I think that the absence 
okay, of the knowledge of, you know, a lot of people in America who just, you know, people go to work every day, support their families, but to pause for a minute and to think about, uh, you know, how these good, uh, goods and products was produced and brought back into the country, uh, you know, I, 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 I think for people to just pause for a minute, you know, can really start a discussion in this country, you know, in terms of how do we keep these jobs in America and at what price are we willing to pay, okay, to allow corporations to uh, ship jobs over the, overseas, bring the products back in our country, and, um, you know, because they are paying slave wages, because they've got people working in terrible uh, conditions, like you mentioned, terrible environmental uh, atmospheres, and, you know, so they're able to produce at a lower cost, and that's disputed sometimes when you look at the longevity and when you look at the quality of the product. But the theory is they're being made at a lower cost that they could be uh, provided to the consumer at a lower cost. Um, you know, we, you know, we don't think that that's necessarily true, but we think that there's a lack of uh, education or promotion uh, in terms of what these trade laws really do to the American public where, uh, you know, we need people to get outraged about this. Not a question. Uh, I disagree with you on our statement either. We're going to take a quick break. Mr. Fred Redmond, International Vice President of Human Affairs for the USW, is our guest. And we were talking about NAFTA, the renegotiation, um, you know, what must be done. And uh, let's talk about Let's talk about some of those solutions and how we can use this opportunity to change NAFTA for the better. Quick break, and we'll be back. In the meantime, follow on Twitter, the USW, at Steelworkers. Also follow Leo Girard, President of the USW, at USW Blogger. The website is usw.org back to you back to mr redmond right after this leslie marshall real people real life real talk Uh, they're negotiated in secret. 
Uh, the people that historically have been at the table on these trade deals have been those from corporations and the Wall Street people have been at the table to represent their interests. Um, you know, the people that's missing in these negotiations are representatives of the workers, uh, consumer advocates, and uh, lawmakers that have a strong voice, should have a strong voice in these trade discussions uh, in order to really, really understand the system. Because we find a lot of lawmakers, you know, really do not understand the lack of enforcement and, uh, you know, what American workers have to do and what we have to do as representative workers just to file a trade case. Uh, we think that the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, you know, must be consulted in, 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 in these trade deals and able to provide input. So we think that there'd have to be a collaborative system, and all stakeholders, you know, should be at the table, not just the uh, uh, interest of the corporations in Wall Street when these deals are crafted. Uh, absolutely. And in the past, these have always been deals that have been done behind closed doors, and if you have nothing to hide, you should be transparent. You should let the public have their input. Obviously, if you're behind closed doors... Um, if you're having a secret uh, meeting, as we saw with NAFTA and with TPP, uh, like you said, then the only corporate and Wall Street interests are being represented at that table. Um, the American workers, the consumers, and the lawmakers have a strong voice, and they must have a strong voice in these trade uh, discussions. Um, shouldn't unions, uh, you know, have and uh, be consulted and provide input? just as much as politicians, if not more? Well, absolutely, because I think that, uh, you know, we have a, a uh, obligation to our members who work in these industries to have some sort of oversight to ensure that, um, you know, our industries are protected, that, uh, you know, there's not enough scrutiny that's done by the government to ensure that, um, you know, the imports that's coming into this country is not uh, increasing the trade deficit in this country, is that, you know, there's a balance between imports and exports. And when, we, and when the people who are crafting these deals are the corporations who stand to make millions by being able to produce uh, uh, these products, uh, you know, outside of the country and then ship them, you know, for cheaper labor and then ship them back in. And then we're talking about Wall Street, you know, who who, who have uh, interest in terms of the uh, financial profits to these corporations and to uh, shareholders. Then when they are the only people that's crafting the deal, then the interests of the American worker get lost. So, you know, we think that if we're going to be serious, if this administration is going to be serious, and we hope they are, we stand ready to assist. But our involvement in any sort of discussions about the renegotiations of uh, NAFTA will be to protect the American workers, to protect by American provisions uh, in these trade deals, to make sure that the American workers is just playing from a level playing field, and to ensure that worker rights in all three of our partner countries are central to uh, being locked into these deals and make sure that there's strong, enforceable standards 
which will allow for a free and independent uh, labor movement in all of these countries so we could compete, uh, so we could all compete equally. And uh, we're looking for a framework that uh, will ensure a timely remedy of labor violations and permit, um, you know, bargaining in all three of our countries, uh, collective bargaining. And, you know, any sort of renegotiations must include safety, wage, and environmental regulations rather than creating a race to the bottom. You know, our our goal is that we can have trade deals that lift workers up in the three countries uh, that comprises NAFTA. And, um, you know, we operate under the best possible practices to ensure uh, worker safety, to ensure that we're working on the strict environmental regulations that's going to be equally spread throughout our three countries. The new agreement must limit the power of corporations, as you said, and that would restore and, and focus on and restore power to workers and to sovereign governments. You talked about protect by America statutes, and that could be done by eliminating rules that empower the multinational corporations to attack the democratic policies and to sue sovereign governments over rules and regulations that they don't like. If that were eliminated, it would be much easier. But don't you think that we as consumers, Mr. Redmond, also – have a responsibility. If we demand Buy American, then more Buy American and Made in America products would be supplied by these corporations in the meantime uh, until a new a new agreement is in place. Absolutely, and I think uh, uh, you know, going to your point, uh, you know, a new agreement must contain strong what we refer to as rule of origin, rule of origin language. Um, for example, in, uh, in automobile-related industries, uh, which more than 300,000 of our members work, you know, we have to increase the duty-free qualifying threshold to 90% domestic content. And this is when goods could be shipped across the border duty-free. You know, we're calling for that threshold to be increased to 90%. And when they're measuring the amount of domestic contact in these products, then, you know, we think that uh, it should be indicated in the new in, in the new NAFTA deal, if we get to the point where we're going to negotiate a new trade deal, we think that the regulators, you know, they got to look not to just where these materials are assembled, but whether they, you know, but 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 whether but how are these materials made in order to get uh, free trade status? I mean, goods such as auto parts and steel from non-NAFTA countries such as China. Um, you know, we got to create laws where they're not just slightly modified in order to get duty-free status. Unless they're a good Mr. example Fredman, of that. Always a pleasure. Educational mm -hmm. as always, sir. Mr. Fred Redman, International Vice President of Human Affairs for the USW. Follow them on Twitter at Steelworkers. Follow President Leo Gerard at USW Blogger. The website is USW.org. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.